God is working in your life and email us at amen at loveservego.com. Now prepare your heart to hear from God today. Audacity Church, are you glad to be here this morning? I'm glad that you're here. My name is Ronnie and I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I consider it a privilege and honor just to share with you this morning what uh, we've been going through as a church. If you're a guest here today, man, we are so glad that you're here. Thank you for taking an hour out of your week to come and hang with us and uh, we pray that and uh, just hang around us a few times. We always tell people, man, just give us a few opportunities. Uh, if you're really nervous, just don't drink the Kool-Aid. I mean, everything else, water and coffee, you're fine. Stay away from the Kool-Aid. Uh, you know, today's a, a, another daunting task for us. And before I, I dive in, uh, my pastor and my mentor and my coach is uh, on sabbatical. And so he's joining us today. And uh, he would probably going to be upset that I do this. It's the main reason I am doing it. But... Uh, Brad and Laura, will you guys just stand? This is my pastor. This is Brad and his wife, Laura. And uh, he, they uh, are a, a gift to our city. He is a, a lead pastor over at Core Church, church planner, uh, one of those crazy guys. And I'm just humbled that as part of his sabbatical, he wanted to hang with you guys uh, this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn them to John chapter 11. At the summers at Audacity, we like to just unpack a book of the Bible. So we spend 12, 13 weeks in the same book, the same letter, the same epistle, and we've been in the book of John for the last several weeks. My challenge to you is always this, is that you go home sometime this week and you open up the text and, and you read it for yourself. You allow the Holy Spirit to speak specifically to your heart about what God wants you to hear. And because we're only going to be able to highlight three brief stories in the text, it's going to be even more important that you go home and you say, God, what else do you want me to hear from this text? I believe that pastoring and teaching is, is very important. God doesn't need anybody to exegete or pontificate his word. The Holy Spirit, the same God that raised Christ from the dead, if you are following Jesus, lives on the inside of you. And he wants to speak to your heart this week about this text. If I had to title today's text as we look through these three chapters, I would title it The Glory of God. The word glory comes from a word that actually means heaviness, where you see, feel God's presence. And so we're going to see Jesus move in three very peculiar ways today as we uh, go through this text. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to John chapter 11. If you'd like to follow along, you can take out your smartphone and go to Audacity Church today or there, and they'll be up there until next Saturday. There's also a place that you can connect if you're wanting to be baptized, if you've made a decision for Jesus, or if you just want to see what's going on this week in our community. If you're a guest, there's also a spot for there for you just to connect with us. We'd love to know that you are here today. As we noticed, John loves this number seven. There's seven dialogues, seven discussions, seven miracles, seven I am statements. John is also has no, it appears, no real uh, appreciation, if you will, for chronologic order of the text. And so we find these stories framed in the middle right before the final week of Jesus. John spends the bulk of his gospel writing about the final week of Jesus, or at least the majority of it. In John chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, 
the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jump down to verse 14. Or, or excuse me, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When Jesus, when he heard these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it forms and shapes and transforms our lives. So right now we pray that your word would fall on good soil, that we would be open and receptive to hearing what you want us to hear today. May this information be downloaded into our hearts and cause transformation so we leave here not the same way we came in. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're a guest, maybe you've been hanging around us a while and you say, Ronnie, you just read that some dude was dead four days, and then Jesus raised him from the dead. I wrestle with that. Welcome to the club. As you're growing and studying and reading God's Word, there's going to be times that you unpack text or you start to read a text, and you're like, I'm confused by that. I have a hard time applying that. I want you to know as people that call themselves followers of Jesus at Audacity Church, we believe that all of that book is hinges on this one event, and that's that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. We believe that his death allowed you and I to experience salvation or a right relationship with God. And so... We believe that if Jesus has the ability to raise himself from the dead, any miracle he performs in the text that we read, we just say, okay, that's hard, that's interesting, I'm going to believe it. If you've been a Christian for a long time, and maybe you were in Sunday school or a small group and you've heard the story of Lazarus, today I want to give you a few points that I think will transform the way that you think about your circumstances, and then we'll dive into two other things about Lazarus. The first thing that I, I noticed in the text when it comes to Lazarus is this. Jesus' timing is perfect, and his timing is perfecting. I'd like to write things down. I say a few smart things a day. That would be one of them. See, 
Mary and Martha are loved by Jesus. Jesus has some friends. They're called disciples. They follow him. And then there's followers that are kind of in this inner circle. And Jesus spends a great deal of time with Mary and Martha. Mary probably, you know, slang some essential oils. She was probably the local snake oil lady. And she had been rubbing frankincense all over Lazarus. And nothing was happening. And then they probably took him down to the local compounding pharmacy and tried to get Lazarus some drugs to make him feel better. And Lazarus keeps getting sicker. Mary and Martha now know to the point that Lazarus is near death. And the only thing that they can do is call upon Jesus, but Jesus isn't around. Sometimes the circumstances that you are facing, the thing that is an obstacle to maybe you uh, uh, advancing in your career, maybe it's something where your marriage needs to be a little bit stronger, maybe your finances are just in a little bit of turmoil, and you're waiting on God. Friend, can I just tell you by experience that sometimes God is working on you as much as He is on the circumstance? See, sometimes... Although the timing seems imperfect, he's actually perfecting you. He's allowing you to become more like him. I always joke that, in my humble opinion, God always seems to deliver in the 11th hour. I'm thinking that maybe he needs an executive admin in heaven. Like, if you could get a little bit more on my timetable... That would be convenient for me. Have you ever felt that way? See, we look at these situations and we're like, Mary and Martha expect Jesus to to move a certain way. Write this down. God's plan will rarely unfold the way you think it should. See, sometimes God is perfecting you in the situation, in the circumstance, and so the timing seems off. The problem with a lot of us Christians is we assume that God will do things the way He's always done them. And God's like, no, I want to do a new thing. Mary and Martha know that Jesus is several towns away so they, they, they find a runner, someone to take a note and to sprint to where Jesus is. And they believe that as soon as Jesus opens this note, all he has to do is say the word. That's Jesus' track record. Mary and Martha had heard the story sitting around dinner where a centurion, someone that didn't follow Jesus, had came and said, my son is sick. And Jesus said, no, go back home. Your son is healed. The centurion gets home and says, hey, my son is healed. What, what time did it happen? And he realized that at the very time that Jesus spoke the word, Mary and Martha, I believe, think, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. We, we've done everything. We need out of this circumstance. We need you to move. Just say the word. Sometimes, most often, God will move in your life in a different way. Things will unfold in a different way than you thought they should. And Mary and Martha now watch their their brother die. Jesus didn't answer the prayer. 
He's now been dead four days, and he returns back, and he hasn't went into the town yet. And Mary and Martha end up coming and having an exchange with Jesus. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And one of them says, had you just not been here? And Jesus asks a question that he's going to ask you many times as a follower of Jesus. Do you trust me? Do you believe in me? God's plan will rarely unfold the way that you think it should. And sometimes Jesus' perfect timing is more about perfecting you. I find the length of the letter to Jesus almost offensive. Two months ago, um, many of you know my dad um, had a um, it was in emergency surgery, and uh, they lost him on the table, and God chose to keep his heart alive, and my dad is on a machine being kept alive for a few days. Um, we were told he might not make it through the night. The second night, I remember standing in his room, a machine keeping my dad alive, and, and my letter to Jesus sounded a little bit like this. God, I know you can heal. This is my dad. Who cares about that? This is Pastor Ronnie. He has served your church for 30 years, faithfully, 35 years. For 20 years of his ministry, Father, he worked two jobs so he could serve your church. He raised three kids that loved Jesus. He was a youth pastor for 20 years, and he's poured into hundreds and hundreds of teenagers. And when I'm in desperate need, for Jesus to move, my immediate default was to give God my dad's resume. And friends, that's the problem with me, and that's the problem with you. You think that somehow giving God your resume, your works, your ladder, your report card is going to somehow move the heart of God. Mary and Martha had it figured out. Lord, Lazarus, the one who's been following you. Nope. Lord, Lazarus, the one who's devoted to your ministry. Lazarus, the one who believes you're the Messiah. The letter doesn't even say, Lazarus, the one who loves you. Did you catch that in the text a moment ago? Lord, he whom you love. I need you to say these words with me. Say, I am loved. I am loved. And we're going to add it. I think it's an adjective. English is my second language for gibberish. We're going to say, I am deeply loved. Say it with me. I am deeply loved. Good old John writes another set of letters called John 1, 2, and 3. And one of them, he says this, God is love. It defines his very nature, his very essence. God can't help but love you. God can't help but want what's very best for you. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. See, in the story, I want you to know that you are the one that he loves. You don't need to earn it. 
It's not a report card. There will be no standardized tests with multiple choice at the end of your life. It will just be this. At some point in my life, I came to the revelation that Jesus loves me deeply, and so I devoted the rest of my life to expressing my love back to him. Jesus is now sitting at a dinner. Most scholars will tell us that this dinner was in a celebration for Jesus' life. And Mary, who had prayed to Jesus, who had believed to Jesus, now steps in on the scene of this story. I think it would be best if we read it. So flip over one more chapter, and I'm going to read the first eight verses about Mary to you. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped her feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas the Iscariot, one of the disciples he was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. There's a custom in the first century that when most of the roads weren't paved. They were made of dirt. And as you entered into somebody's house, oftentimes a servant would wash your feet and make them clean. It's so funny, my wife is a fan of Downtown Abbey. Um, I know it's Downton. I just like to say it the other way to antagonize her. But I find it so interesting, the complexity of even the servants in the homes. Some of the servants have... There's a hierarchy. In the first century, the feet washing was reserved for the lowest servant. Mary allows herself to be stretched, to be made uncomfortable. She walks into the room. She kneels at the feet of Jesus, and she unbounds her hair. In the first century, in in matter of fact, in the majority of Middle Eastern cultures today, a woman is not to unbound her hair in public. And she takes an offering, an expensive offering, all that she has, and she pours this offering on to the feet of Jesus. And then Mary takes her hair and she washes the feet of Jesus with her hair. Extravagant grace will always lead you to extravagant sacrifice. When you have experienced the grace of Jesus, the saving work of Jesus, the love from Jesus, your only response is extravagant. Friend, there's going to be people in your life that say, you're giving what to the kingdom of heaven? 
hold on, you give up a day of, of your week and you go serve the church, you mow the yard, you run new lights, you, 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 do, you serve in kids, you, you, and they're going to be astonished at your sacrifice. There will be people that do not fully understand why you have this deep desire to give to the local body of Christ, to his church, to his kingdom. If your heart has been touched and changed by Jesus, extravagance is the only comfortable response to give back to him. I know that makes you uncomfortable. It should. See, whenever we talk about the saving power of Jesus, you and I are like Lazarus. We are dead in our sin, our mistakes, our misfortunes. Our choices. We are dead in sin. The Bible says that Jesus came to give life and life to its fullest. And so when we understand being changed by Jesus, our life can only be defined by what we want to give back to him is extravagant. That's why I'm annoyed by church people. See, church people that I at least have most of the experience that I have are minimalist. Now they consume clutter and toys and the nicest of trinkets, but then when it comes to their time, talent, and their treasure, they all of a sudden become penny counters, time counters. I don't know if I can give up my weekend to do that. I don't know if I really want to get involved in biblical community. Let me just show up to church and get some teaching that makes me feel better about myself. Friends, this is only half of it, and I don't even know if it's the good half. Living in biblical community, growing together in our desire to emulate Jesus to a world that needs to see light, that's what matters. Being held accountable by your friend because he wants you to be a good husband. Being held accountable by your friend because she wants you to be a great mom, that's what matters. The essence of following Jesus will always be extravagance, and those that have never encountered grace will never fully understand it. When we've been changed by Jesus, it will lead. Grace leads to extravagance. And people, your friends, aren't always going to understand. We just read that it's the final week of Jesus. It's the week of Passover. John's going to give us several stories and some more instances as Jesus prepares for the cross. Jesus tells us in the text that he exists to glorify the Father. Every word, every deed, every action. Jesus is painting us a picture of what it looks like to live surrendered to the Holy Spirit in connection deeply with the Father and living a life without sin. That's what Jesus demonstrates. Kids are sounding like they're having fun. Don't you wish you were back there right now? Jesus says that I exist to glorify the Father. Everything that I do is here to glorify the Father. And then Jesus shares a meal with his followers. He knows he's about to enter into this final week of his life, and in 
John chapter 12, he says, Father, glorify your name. Everything Jesus did. Jesus goes on to cry out in John chapter 12, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment as what to say and what to speak. One of the ways that we emulate, follow Jesus is by being fully surrendered to the Father, being obedient when He asks you to do something, being obedient when He leads you in a direction to follow Him. Jesus' life is coming to a close, and He's sharing a meal with His followers. The Bible says that as they're all sitting there, Jesus now takes the form of the lowest servant in the house. He takes off his outer garment and he goes through and he washes each of the disciples' feet. And Peter's like, whoa, hold on. You, you can't take that job. And Jesus tells us that he is demonstrating a way that you and I are to live. We exist to glorify the Father. He's sitting around with them and he says this, a new commandment I give to you. For those of you that know me, I like to picture myself being in the story. And so I would have immediately went for my moleskin, right? Like, whoa. He's dropping knowledge. He's about to give us something new, and I would have been looking around. I would have grabbed my moleskin. I would have grabbed my Sharpie marker, and I would have been listening attentively. And then Jesus says these words, love one another. I would have uh, surveyed the room. Oh, Jesus, he's easy to love. I would have looked over at Matthew, and I would have been like, man, I don't know why Jesus let a tax collector in here. I mean... The dude's been, probably hid some money. He still wears a purple sash. He dresses nice, I'm assuming. I don't know if I, I don't know about Matthew. And then I would have looked over at John, the author of this story, and be like, yeah, you and your brother, you're the guys that got mad and wanted to call fire down from heaven. Glad you're here. Welcome to the table. Don't get mad at me. I would have looked around the table again, and I would have been, well, there's a couple other disciples that apparently didn't do much because they're not in the Gospels much. But they're there, like, you guys need to step up your game. Make it into the scripture, seriously. And then I would have looked over at Judas. I'm like, that dude is sketchy, and he's very patriotic. But I can love them. I'm comfortable with that. I would have stayed reclining and wrote, love one another in my moleskin. Jesus goes on to quantify this statement with these words, as I have loved you. Oh, heaven now. Now, Jesus is telling me, 
I have to love all of these like He loves me. He knows my insecurities. He knows my mistakes. He knows my pain. He knows my confusion. He knows my fears. He knows my failures. And yet, He has relentlessly loved me. I just don't know if I can love like that. And then Jesus quantifies this commandment one more time. By this, the world will know that you follow me by how you love one another. There's an ancient tradition by an early church father in about the 200 AD-ish area who would say that <clears throat> when John was close to 90, they would bring him in. It's the last the living apostle. He's the one that walked with Jesus. And they would ask John to teach. Ask John to help dive into the Scripture. And John, in his feeble body, would stand. Actually, in their time, he would kneel and everybody else would stand. Aren't you glad that's not happening today? And John would sit to teach. And he would say this, little children, Love one another. They would push him. People who are disciples, John, let's unpack the Greek. John, let's go ahead and decipher the Hebrew. And John would be like, little children, love one another. When you and I have been deeply loved, it is easy to love people that have hurt us. It is easy to love people that let us down. It is easy to love because John had this figured out. He was just following Jesus. You are never more like Jesus than when you are loving people. All people. You are never more like Jesus than when you are loving people. I'm going to close with these few thoughts. As we try to grab three chapters in just a few moments, I know that that, text, that task is daunting. But I need you to hear these few truths of what you and I need to apply today before we celebrate communion, before we respond to what we've heard. First thing is this, you exist to glorify God. Saint Irenaeus, Irenaeus, he's been dead for hundreds of years, so I don't know how to say his name, but he said this, the glory of God is man fully alive? When you aren't living defeated, but you're living with hope, you're living fully alive. 
When you are living in your identity does not rest in your occupation, your education, your accomplishments, and your achievements, but your identity rests in the simple fact that you are loved by God, then you will be one that is glorifying Him with all of your life. That's why you were created. I always tell Ashley that I should win the Nobel Peace Prize for beautifying the world with my 10 breathtaking-looking children. That's my contribution. The fact is, is no, I'm, I'm a son of the creator of the universe. And every breath that I take, I exist to glorify his name. Man fully alive is the glory of God. And if you're like me, you're like, no, have you ever seen the ocean? It's glorious. Have you ever stood on the foot of a mountain and your breath was taken away? It's glorious. And I've had this distinct privilege ten times of watching a child take their first breath. It's glorious. Sure, all of these things in God's creation bring Him more glory than I do. And no, friend, you exist to glorify God with every breath, with every action, with every deed, with every word. You are just like Jesus. You are never more like Jesus than when you are loving and serving people. And you exist to glorify God. And if you haven't heard a thing I've said for the last 30 so minutes, hear me. You are the one He loves. Pastor, you have no idea about this mistake. I don't need to. He loves you. But Pastor, I'm in this relationship and it's not working and I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm filled with fear and I don't even think that God can even fix this. I just feel like such a failure. You are the one that he loves. My finances are upside down. I don't know what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. And I, and I feel like these, these choices that I made have led me here. And now I feel like I have no worth, no contribution. I, I don't even think that I can ever get out of this mess. You are the one that he loves. He's not interested in your resume. He's not interested in your accomplishments and your achievements. His very essence, His very nature is to love you. Will you let Him love you this morning? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to get plugged into the ministry of Audacity or support this ministry financially, you can get more information at loveservego.com.